the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is underway. Eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks again to Jack Windsor for closing out last half hour with us. And uh, certainly appreciate you being with us on a Tuesday. It's the eighth morning of the uh, sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. want to convert now or pivot from uh, my good friend Jack Windsor, one of my favorite guys to talk to. Uh, and welcome back to the program, Mr. Peter Kersenaum, one of my other favorite guys to talk to. And hopefully uh, one of your favorite guys to listen to, as he filled in for me this past Friday. Uh, here on the authority hey pete what's going on my friend hey not much uh, great bumper music welcome back uh from your trip to uh florida what was it like uh it was free it felt like freedom <laughs> ron DeSantis land is free that's the best way i can describe it uh it was it was a really a glorious thing to experience and uh and i hope uh, more states will uh you know will follow suit uh, you know, it's 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 really an amazing thing. You know, Pete, we say tongue in cheek somewhat. Uh, you know, but but you look at the way that state is run. You look at the way this state is run by Mike DeWine. You would think they would be similar. They're both Republicans. Should have similar ideological perspectives, certain values, and so forth. Um, and they're just night and day, just night and day. Florida, with its high population of senior citizens and retirees, which, of course, were the most vulnerable to the, uh, you know, COVID-19 symptoms, um, you know, they, they ended all of their lockdown nonsense and all of their mask nonsense and all of these other precautions so long ago, you would think that with that high vulnerable population, it would have been a disaster. Instead, it was just the opposite. Meanwhile, here in Ohio, Mike DeWine waited until the very last second, until the CDC did their little vaccine. If you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask guidance uh, uh, before before Mike DeWine would do anything. Yeah, increasingly, all these institutions and these elected officials who were going along with, quote, unquote, the science have proven themselves to be, I'm going to try to be charitable here. I can't think of the appropriate adjective, but folks, I'll, I'll go in the other opposite direction. The folks like uh, DeSantis, who used their brains. Yeah, they looked at all the guidances, and they examined them, they weighed them, they made their own determinations, and that's just it. They made their own determinations using free will as free people mm-hmm. and came down on the side of freedom. And it turns out that freedom, in this particular case, and in most cases, prevails. So uh, yeah, I think it's a great example to Americans. DeSantis, I don't want to you know, engage in hagiography of, of anybody at, at this particular point. I know he's a, a darling of many conservatives, and I like him a lot. I, haven't, I have no complaints about him. I just uh, I take a wait-and-see attitude with respect to everybody, because we've seen over the years that individuals who have been touted as being the next savior of the, you know, of the republic have been uh, great disappointments, uh, even on the conservative side. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue to watch DeSantis. So far, I see nothing that says that this guy's nothing other than a rock conservative and a very smart guy. 
Yeah, he's the real deal, and he is doing something new every single day to prove that. I mean, not he lets no grass grow beneath his feet. He is always on the move, forward thinking with respect to responding to you know uh, the protection of girls' sports, uh, to of course the COVID nineteen policies, to uh, big tech uh, clamping down on big tech, to threatening any business in Florida, and that includes the cruise industry that ports in Florida. Anybody who asks people to show proof of a vaccine will be fined five thousand dollars for each time that they ask and that made the cruise industry change their entire policy now you no longer have to show that you've been vaccinated to go on a cruise out of florida i mean everything that is an issue in this country right now desantis has been all over so while i don't want to yeah yeah, it's been critical race theory also you know he's been that too first you know and in addition you know one of the things i really liked is when he was asked and i don't i think it was by tucker or somebody when he was asked about the uh, transgender uh, issues with respect to girls sports and the fact that, you know, a number of states, you know, you saw in, in South Dakota, for example, Christy Nome uh, caved um, to the powers that be, you know, the big corporations who said, and, and the NCAA who said, you know, if you pass this bill, we're going to boycott your state. I'm not sure if they said it just like that, but that's what was implied. Yeah. And so when DeSantis was asked whether or not he was concerned about the same happening to Florida, he goes, no, I'm not concerned at all. If that's what they want to do, it's not going to change anything that we're going to do at all. And what he did there was laid a marker that told everybody, take your best shot. We don't care, you know, which told them, you know, it's, it's frankly futile to take your best shot. So he has to understand, he understands, and I wish other governors understood that they wield a lot of power and they shouldn't cowardly cave to these corporations these woke corporations or other special interest groups and do the right thing and when you announce it ahead of time and say this is what we're going to do and you know save your ammunition because it's not going to change our policy these folks aren't even going to put out the effort to try to change it and that's what's happening in florida very instructive Yes, indeed it is. And uh, I got to tell you, I am a massive fan of Ron DeSantis, and I don't want to engage in hagiography, hey as you call it, which is a word most of us don't even know, but I took it from context. Uh, I, I love him in 24, and uh, I don't know how things are going to shake out. There's a long time between now and then, but as of right now, I absolutely love the idea of his name at the top of a ticket with the full and complete and total backing of a kingmaker named Donald Trump rather than uh, once and future king. So, uh, all right, Peter Chris, now let's dive into uh, the current president of the United States. Joe Biden said over the weekend that the great, or actually toward the end of last week, that the greatest threat that this country faces is white supremacy. More than anything else, let's give this a listen. White supremacists are the greatest threat in this country. As I said in my address to the joint session of Congress, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS. Not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. I'm, I'm kind of curious, Pete, and I know you responded to this a little bit on Fox uh, over the weekend, uh, and you can do so again here, but I'm kind of curious what uh, on what crime statistics and yeah. violence statistics is the president and or the intelligence agencies basing such a an almost insane statement upon? Uh, none. None whatsoever. I, I look at the crime statistics regularly. My assistant provides them to me in, in digested form because for a number of years now, these statistics have been distorted and lied about by politicians for political gain. And as I said on Fox, I said the president is either lying or he's galactically ignorant or both. The fact of the matter is that there is no statistical evidence that to support his claim. In fact, just the opposite. I, I'm, I'm 
I'm always baffled. I keep asking, what statistics are these individuals referring to? And you have to come to the conclusion. It's, it's very difficult for me as somebody who has grown up in this country and tried to give people the benefit of the doubt to our political office to accept the fact that people will bald-faced lie on a regular basis. But, you know, uh, that's what's been happening to us for quite some time, and the media goes along with it. The media does not challenge this. It works to their political benefit because they're trying to drive a narrative that helps the left, or they perceive to help the left and hurts the rest of the country. The bottom line here is, where are the stats that show that white supremacists are out there engaging in massive violence? I, 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 there's, there's a compendium of information. The lodestar for crime statistics is the Justice Department's FBI uniform crime statistics. Now, the last time I looked at them was about a week and a half ago, I think. I pour through this, this material, and it's easy for anybody to access, or relatively so. It's boring, and you know, there's a lot of data there. But you can go to this stuff. The left regularly talks about white supremacy as one of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat. But ask yourself, aside from the data itself, ask yourself anecdotally, the last time you heard anything concrete from the media about attacks by white supremacists. Really think about that hard. They talk about it a lot, and sometimes that talking can somehow residually give you the idea that, well, something must be going on. Mm -hmm. But listen closely. They never give you specific examples or body counts. You know, I hate to say it that, that graphically, but they don't do anything like that. And there's a reason. The reason is they don't have anything. Now, there are, there's like Dylan Roof, remember from several years ago in that yeah. church, horrific uh, circumstance. Uh, there have been maybe one or two others. There's the, um, <clears throat> uh, they, they tried to lump in the, the shooting of the synagogues in Pittsburgh into white supremacy. Um, you know, that's a very elastic definition. Clearly, it had to do with anti-Semitism. Um, but white supremacy, they, anytime a white guy shoots anybody, they try to say it has to do with white supremacy. The bottom line here is the, the greatest threat in terms of being murdered, the, the people most at risk are blacks being shot by other blacks. Over the weekend, for example, we saw, or not, I think it was Sunday night in Cleveland, 17 people were shot, 17 in only four incidences. In other words, there are multiple shootings. They, almost every single one of the victims, well, put this way, I don't know if any of the victims were white. All I know is that most of these shootings, or all these shootings occurred in heavily black areas. Draw your conclusions from that. It gives no one any pleasure to say anything like that, but you have to acknowledge facts and stop parading these fantasies before the American people to drive a political agenda, frankly, a corrupt political agenda, one that is already harming Americans. And I'm going to kind of a, a, a segue here um, that's unrelated, but in the last five months, the Biden administration, in their zeal to reverse everything that Trump has done, has caused the country enormous pain in terms of inflation, gas prices, uh, unemployment, you name it. We're no longer, you know, exporting gas the way we were. It's just a stunning reversal of fortune, all because orange man bad. They hated the man so much, they forgot the fact that his policies were outstanding and working. So they have no problems. Uh, uh, this goes back to why they talk about white supremacy. It's because the political narrative works to their advantage, they believe, and they don't care about the substantive harm done to America. 
Pete, that is very well said. Well, I'm going to use that as our pause point here, and we'll take our time out. And I want to come back, because the policies of this administration have been killing black people. More than anything else, they are killing black people. The policies of defunding and not supporting police are causing more crimes, as you say, in black neighborhoods, black gangs, and so on and so forth, killing other black people. I want to know when they are going to be held to account for that as they stand there and say that the biggest threat to the country is white people. Uh, We'll talk more about that with Kirsten now next on AM 14. 20 the answer so can you all right it's 10 21 we're continuing with peter Kersenow. Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, fill in host for the Bob France Authority, did an outstanding job, I am told, on uh, on Friday. Pete, you talked about what Biden said, and Biden said that uh, white supremacy is the biggest threat this country faces. Uh, let's go to his predecessor and his former boss, Barack Obama, and see what he has to say about race in America. Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew? That, that that was the threat to our republic. But those debates uh, uh, are powerful because they get at uh, what story do we tell about ourselves. So Barack Obama, in mocking fashion, says, who knew that with all of the problems with the economy and climate change, that the biggest, uh, the biggest problem we face is critical race theory, he chuckles and says. Pete, um, how disingenuous is that, given the fact that critical race theory is rooted in Marxism, um, and that Marxism being the goal of the critical race theorists would mean the end to this republic? This republic would have to be torn asunder in order for Marxist theory to take root. Um, and the way you tear this, this republic apart, of course, is to divide it against itself. And that is exactly what they are doing by way of making whites the oppressors and making blacks always victims. And uh, critical race theory, of course, teaches you cannot be in between. You cannot be a non-victim nor a non-oppressor. You have to be one or the other. How can he just so casually mock the idea that critical race theory is a threat to this country when, quite frankly, it is the threat to this country? He mocks it so that we don't seize upon it and immediately reject it. Remember, this is the guy who talked about fundamentally transforming America. And I remember when he made that statement at the outset of his candidacy um, or or his presidency um, that it was know typical political hyperbole lo and behold he meant it and was one of the things that i think a number of us uh were alarmed about because they were they are still implementing the transformation of america and now it's proceeding apace and one of the primary vehicles for accomplishing that transformation is critical race theory uh You've given me the benefit of, I uh, guess, toasting a couple of times now, and I asked the question about what is the greatest threat to America in both of those instances, and people called in and gave a lot of great answers, uh, but among the answers was critical race theory. I don't know if it's the greatest threat, uh, 
It's clearly a far greater threat than Biden's contention of white supremacy. But critical race theory, as you indicated, has the ability to completely dismantle the United States. It already has us, to a large extent, at each other's throats. And I mean that literally, not figuratively. You've probably seen the proliferation of videos out there of people of color attacking whites and, and, and frankly, people of color attacking, uh, or certain people of color attacking Asians. But there's almost this impunity. But Pete, Pete, I want to... I I want to I want to emphasize something you just said, uh, and and actually object to part of it when you said it has us at each other's throats. It's not. It's only one group that is at the other group's throats. If white people were out there attacking black people indiscriminately, the way black people are attacking white people and Asian people indiscriminately, um, it would be over for those people. I mean, I mean, then you could say, well, it's hey, we're all at each other's throats. We're not. The, the irony of critical race theory is that it paints people who are white as being racist and being uh, being, uh, you know, having supremacist visions and so on and so forth in, within their DNA. They are the oppressors and people of color are the victims always. They are the oppressed. The irony of that is as critical race theory grows in popularity and in, and in education and in, in indoctrination, it is literally the reverse. White people are being victimized. White people are being oppressed. The victimizers and the oppressors are the people of color who now feel empowered to do anything they want in the name of of social justice and what you see to to build on that point is i was talking about the videos one of them that stands out most recently is that uh, amazon delivery truck driver who uh, pummeled that 67 year old white woman who had her back turned to her and alleged that the reason why she was beating the crap out of the woman was because the woman had used some some racial slur which you know it's frankly always uh, the answer yeah exactly well when I say at each other's throats, maybe I'm looking forward in, in, a, in a horrific way. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it in anticipation. But this can't but produce a backlash. So for all the wokeaholics out there who think that they are now on the ascendancy because of critical race theory, that now, you know, people of color have this kind of hegemonic uh, view or uh, position that whites, they claim, used to enjoy for hundreds of years, well, you have to always remember who's in the minority. At some point, there may be a backlash, and guess what? When whites are still 75% of the population, and you're seeing it increasing, where whites are saying, enough of this. There are a lot of people who are keeping their heads down because they, they don't want to be canceled. There are a lot of exactly. people keeping Bingo. their heads down because they still haven't figured out what's going on. There are some people who are being canceled because they want to be thought of as good people. Uh, I, I still think the first... Uh, aspect is the driving issue, but at some point, a critical mass forms where people say enough is enough. Uh, you can't defeat discrimination with more discrimination. Uh, do we have discrimination in this country? Yes, of 330 million people, you're going to have racial discrimination. Uh, is there systemic discrimination, as President Biden claimed? No, that's a huge lie, except in a couple of areas there's systemic discrimination. It's by the left against uh, just about everybody, frankly, but mainly against whites and Asians. Uh, so th- this whole notion, pitting each other against our, uh, one another on the basis of race, is so incendiary and dangerous and, frankly, most fundamentally un-American. It should be rejected wholesale. And the people who traffic in this, and, and they are starting in the White House, need to be condemned loudly and roundly every single chance we get. And as I said before, Biden was either lying 
or he's galactically ignorant. Yeah. I hate to say that about a president, but those are the best descriptions I well, can Well, I, I think both I, can I be true in his case. In destruction, right. I don't think yeah. it's in the destructive. And I think, and I think he learned a lot from his predecessor, and he learned a lot from Barack Obama about this. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little, one more clip from Obama because I played the part before he said, "Who knew that critical race theory was the biggest threat that we face to our republic?" Here, but but listen to what he says about this issue. I also think that there are certain right wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of. Uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. So you and I, Peter Kersenau, by talking about this the way that we are, we are stoking fear and resentment of white people because their demographic changes are changing their ways of life. I got news for you. We don't have to stoke anything. The fear is real because they see and they listen to people like that New York psychiatrist who spoke as an invited guest on the campus of Yale University to their medical students and proclaimed how much she wanted to shoot white people in the head and then walk away with the blood on her hands with a bounce in her step knowing she had just done the world a favor. Of course we have fear as white people in this country. I can tell you that as a white man because it is becoming normalized to threaten and to harm and to attack white people with impunity. Yeah, and you know, you see daily, you see videos, New York, Chicago, other places where random attacks are occurring in subways, on the streets, against whites and Asians. Um, you know, it's not by Trump supporters. It's usually against people who are more likely to be Trump supporters. But yeah. it's proliferating, and we're seeing significant spikes in the crime rate. Because, yeah, part of it is because of defund the police and the Ferguson effect. But Bingo. it's compounded by the fact that we've got this rhetoric from the very top that seems to legitimize any attacks by, quote-unquote, people of color against whites. When you've got a Barack Obama saying something like that, and by the way, let me just segue into something related. Well, well, we can't segue now because it's 1031. Uh, let, let's <laughs> let's right. hold off on the segue, and we'll do that on the other side of the newscast, Peter Kersenal, and I'll replay the, the Obama clip if you want to use that for the segue. We'll come right back with Pete after this. Okay, it's 1035. I got one more segment with Peter Kersenau. So Peter Kersenau was about to segue uh, as we were responding, or he was responding to Barack Obama, who says that white, uh, rather right-wing media, and I'm sure he sees it as white-wing media, uh, but Barack Obama says right-wing media is stoking fear and resentment in the white population against the demographic and diversity changes in our population. Now listen. I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues, for example, that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now, right, where uh, you would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that 
you know, the Republican Party would uh, be engaged in a significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about... Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. All right, Peter Kirsten, I'll continue. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to make a couple of points. Number one, during the break, I heard the correct number of people who had been shot. I said 17, and that was the figure I heard, I think, Sunday night. It's now 35 people were shot over the weekend. Just to give you some kind of perspective as to what's going on here in in the country broadly, and it's starting to sound like Chicago. Yes, Clinton it is. have been escaping that kind of stuff. But a lot of this is a function of what we saw over the last year. It is a combination defund the police, Ferguson effect kind of mentality, where anything goes, they countenance almost any kind of destructive behavior if it comes from one side. But the point I wanted to make, the segue I wanted to make, was related to everything we've been talking about, especially the person you just quoted. Uh, And it has to do with race relations and the advent of Obama and the suffusion of critical race theory into schools K through 12 and colleges and the effect of it. And it's, it's a it, it, it's a minor, not, maybe not a minor data point, it's a data point, but it's one that I think is significant. And it's this, each year for decades, Gallup used to conduct a poll related, related to how Americans perceived the status of race relations in the country today. And here's what's intriguing. When you go back to the beginning of the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, remember, he's a, he's a right-wing white guy. Of course, things must have been horrible under him because white supremacy was uh, you know, supreme across the land. Race relations were, were considered among blacks and whites. 70, nearly 70% of all Americans thought race relations were good or very good or somewhat good. Okay? In fact... More blacks, by eight points, viewed race relations as being good or very good than whites were, okay, at the beginning of the George W. Bush administration. It pertained that way for quite some time. In fact, even rose to, to just before the end of the Bush uh, uh, presidency, 75% of white adults believed race relations were good, and 68% of blacks did. It's like it dipped a little bit among blacks, but still at a very high level. By the end of the Obama administration, those numbers had dropped by not three, not four, but 30 percentage points among both race, racial groups. In fact, it dropped more among blacks than it did among whites, although wow. it, it then, it then uh, peaked up a little bit among white adults at the beginning of the um, Trump administration. Okay, and and then it continued a a kind of downward path through the Trump administration. But you ask yourself, what has gone on in the last twenty years that would cause this precipitous slide? White supremacy. Give me specific examples. As I've said on a number of shows before, whenever they talk about systemic racism or white supremacy, they just say it very blithely, a blanket yeah. comment. And, and, and no one ever asks them, give me an example. Uh, you know, I've done that on a couple of occasions to some interlocutors, and boy, they get the deer in the headlights look. Give me an example of systemic racism. I can give you examples, as I did on Fox a couple of days ago, and the examples all come from the left. If you're looking for systemic racism, look no further than the Biden administration, where, in fact, they have been knocked down, 
more than twice in the last week by federal courts of appeals because they were dispensing billions of dollars in COVID relief benefits on a preferential basis on the basis of race, giving That's it right. to, quote-unquote, people of color. Blatantly unconstitutional. But this is stuff that I'm seeing over and over again. I have to say... Well, let me, let me, like let me give you another example, Pete. Let me jump in on this for a second, because if you're looking for blatant examples of racism... You says you say you look to the left, look to the left and look to academia. And I repeat myself because that they are one in the same. And I want to talk. I want to go back to that psychiatrist. <clears throat> Not too many people uh, have heard about this. I'm afraid. Well, actually, a lot of people have, but I know a lot of people who have not. Doctor Aruna Kilanani is a New York based psychiatrist who told an audience at the Yale School of Medicine. Uh, that she had fantasies of killing white people. And I want to read her direct quotes so that you can respond to them. By the way, she's not black. She is of Indian descent, but she speaks of white people as her enemy. And I want to read this quote. It's, it's not too long. Nothing makes me angrier than a white person who tells me not to be angry because they have not seen real anger yet before, uh, she said, before talking about how she was systemically cut off, or excuse me, how she systemically cut off most of her former white friends about five years ago. So she won't even be friends with white people. Quote, I stopped watching the news. Once I started, I couldn't stop. It was also a public service. I had fantasies of uploading a rev- unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step, like I did the world a blanking favor. Later in the same talk, she claimed, quote, White people are out of their minds, and they have been for a long time. White people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. They feel that we should be thanking them for all they have done for us. They are confused, and so are we. We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We are asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they are a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't going to happen. That's what she says about white people. They are demented, violent predators who are uh, out of their minds, and if I unloaded a revolver into their heads, I'd be doing the world a favor. Now, Pete, this is an academic, this is a leftist from New York talking to Yale, which allowed this to happen, by the way, and they're not trying to cover this up. As a matter of fact, she has, I believe, sued so that uh, her words can be shared uh, you know, with everybody. I, I guess Yale t- kind of limited the audience that could hear what she had to say, and now she actually wants more people to hear it. Can you imagine, and again, this is whataboutism, as they like to call it, if I or any other white person were to say the exact same things that you just heard about the black race, up unloading revolvers into their heads, doing the world a favor, et cetera, et cetera, walking away with a bounce in my step. I mean, so how can we be a nation that is white supremacist and white privileged if white people would be held to a different standard when using such hate speech and racist speech than people on the left would? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pure, unadulterated racism that's been countenanced by the fact that for the last number of years, under critical race and other uh, theories, mm-hmm. uh, so-called people of color are given a license to engage in racism and are not condemned for it. But keep in mind this. She's, she's not merely an academic. She's a psychiatrist, uh, a physician. In other words, physician, heal thyself. My goodness, can you imagine this? But you, you put your finger on it, Bob. This was a presentation to Yale 
medical students. Right. And from what I've read, she's also given presentations to my alma mater, Cornell, and to Columbia. And the article was poorly written. It said New York universities. Uh, I don't know if they mean state universities of New York or NYU. I'm not sure what they mean. But nonetheless, a number of institutions, many Ivy League schools, and the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights does not have specific enforcement authority over something like this. But yesterday, I, I was consulting with my counsel to uh, make formal requests to the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education, which does have direct jurisdiction over this, and the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice to immediately conduct an investigation on the basis of racial harassment. Who knows? A number of other things may be implicated at this point, because you know without question. Again, you talk about whataboutism. I think whataboutism is great. I think you should always engage in whataboutism. Always reverse the races just to see whether or not this, this kind of stuff should fly, because we should be treating everybody the same way. But nonetheless, if this had been a white psychiatrist saying this about blacks or any other quote-unquote people of color that I want to put a revolver to the head, blow their heads up, they have five holes in their head, that's another comment that she made, that they are demented, that all these other things, my goodness, the hue and cry, you could just imagine CNN, New York Times, everybody else would be having this on their front pages, top of the broadcast for days on end. And And it would all be blamed on Donald Trump, I'm sure. Exactly, and the Biden administration would be all over this. Well, I haven't heard a peep out of the Biden administration to this point. So uh, we're making a formal inquiry or a formal demand on OCR, uh, Office of Civil Rights, and the Department of Justice to do this because this can't fly anymore because it's been countenanced and no one even bats an eye. And what we're seeing is the proliferation of this kind of vile, racist commentary, which then leads into a, a, an assumption that, you know, it's, a, a license is given to certain segments of the population to engage in this kind of conduct. It is, it is, you can't unpack this after a while. In other words, if this stuff is allowed to persist for not too much longer, it's going to have dire ramifications. It already has. And who knows what the outcome will be? It can't be a good outcome. It's divisive. We are going to disintegrate as a society if this is allowed to persist. We are instructing this kind of poison to our children, K through 12. It's yeah. out there. You've seen a number of reports. I know I'm, I'm in the middle of it, and some of our, our mutual friends have been in the middle of it. I've drafted legislation related to it. The, the fact of the matter is that it is pervading many of our K through 12, or most of our K through 12 institutions, uh, colleges, law schools, medical schools, and most frightening, it's now in the military. This yeah. is the, 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 the woke left which is nothing more than Marxism, they are winning a battle here, and we are just getting our boots on. We'd better get our act together and fight back extremely hard against this bile, this vicious poison that the left is using to disintegrate America. Well, I was glad she said what she said. Uh, I want to hear it. I want to get it out loud. I want to hear it out loud, rather. I want to get it out in front of it, and I want people to know exactly how they feel, that she verbalized it does all of us a favor. Peter Kirsten out. Terrific conversation, as always, my friend, and thank you so much for taking our audience through last Friday. I appreciate that as well, sir. My privilege. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Peter. That's Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1048. We've got time for one segment of phone calls coming up right after this on The Authority.
Okay, it's 10.52. We've got time to hear from you now at 216-901-0945. The first man I want to hear from is John Stover, who tried to call in earlier in the first hour, but we got a little bit cramped by the uh, clock. So uh, John Stover, who happens to be the president of Ohio Value Voters, uh, joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for having me. You know, I know we don't have a lot of time, so let me be as quick as possible here. First of all, you have had an excellent uh, dissertation regarding Kamala Harris. Her laugh, I tell you, the only person that has a more cackling laugh that is just difficult to listen to is Hillary Clinton. Um, You know, I also would say regarding Kamala, you know, whenever she dropped out of the Democrat uh, primary race for president, she had 2% of the vote nationally. That's right. Uh, Two... I mean, you know, so, so you know, you're right. She's not a very smart person. Uh, the two two people that you had on your show today, uh, uh, reporter Jack Windsor and Peter Kirstenau, uh, two men that I've spoken to within the last week, true patriots and making a great difference here in the state of Ohio. And regarding Jack Windsor and his story regarding Congressman Warren Davidson, he's somebody that our organization is looking at very closely. If he gets into the race, uh, I've already had a number of our board members of Ohio Value Voters reach out to me and say, look, this is a man that we need to give a lot of consideration to in endorsing. And one other uh, thing that I would say that I think is going to be very, very important is the uh, endorsement of Donald Trump in this race. You know, we had a poll uh, about five months ago at Ohio Value Voters. A thousand people responded, primarily Republicans. Seventy-five percent basically said not only uh, if uh, President Trump, but also Jim Jordan was to weigh in on endorsement for governor. 75% it would mean a great deal to them to know who they were supporting. And we already see that taking place with the race here regarding my congressional representative and Anthony Gonzalez. I mean, this, this guy, uh, Bob, is as far as uh, everything that uh, the polls are telling us. I mean, Max Miller is, uh, you know, just beating him soundly right now in the polls. And I would say even before the election has occurred, uh, Anthony Gonzalez is uh, a lame duck. I mean, he really is. I, I, I don't see him overcoming this. So, once again, if President Trump gets behind uh, Congressman Davidson and Jim Jordan, you know, that's going to mean a great deal to his campaign. Um, how do you feel about that part of it, John? I And I ask this because I was talking to somebody else off the air about this very same question, about what a Donald Trump endorsement means. Um because I'll be honest with you, President Trump's policies for four years, I think, were spot on, and we could go through the massive list of accomplishments because of his policies. But his selection of people for certain roles uh, and his selection of people to endorse, I think, has been spotty at best. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily say if President Trump endorses A, I'm going to vote A, and if he endorses B, I'll switch and, and vote for B. I think his judgment on some of the people he put in his ca- in his cabinet, uh, and if you look at some of the turnover there, the people he had to fire because they were absolutely not America first and not on board with the agenda, uh, I think he made some pretty poor decisions there. So I don't know that Donald Trump's endorsement could or should necessarily decide the outcome of a congressional race or a Senate race or a gubernatorial race? Well, Bob, you know, I would uh, certainly agree with you with uh, some of the appointments of President Trump during his uh, four years in office. But once again, I, I, I see this as uh, being a race that if Warren Davidson decides to get into, mm-hmm. he certainly would be, I believe, the front runner, regardless of whoever else may be in the race. You know, it was only uh, a few years ago when he did run for Congress. 
Um, you know, Jim Jordan, who is a very well-respected individual in Ohio, is across the nation. Um, you know, I, I have never uh, never seen a congressman that we've had here in the state of Ohio stand up for our first, second amendment rights like he has. But, you know, in that race for uh, Congress to replace John Boehner, there were a, a crowded field, as you know, and um, Warren Davidson won by eight percentage points, largely due to the fact that he had the endorsed endorsement of jim jordan in that race yeah yeah well you're right about jim jordan and you're right about the kind of weight he carries in the state and uh i'm so happy to call him a friend and a and a regular guest on this program so i think his endorsement to me should carry a lot of weight i like i said and president trump's can and and may indeed as well but it'll be real interesting too as it pertains to the gubernatorial race if davidson gets in and he would be competing for that endorsement from the former president uh jim renacy you know there's got to be I, I think anyway, almost a feeling of, hey, you owe me uh, an endorsement. I got out of this gubernatorial race four years ago because you asked me to come in and run against Sherrod Brown. Um, you know, so I, I did what you asked me to do. And now that I'm running again, I would hope that you would uh, pay me back here with a little bit of support for my new run at the governor's office. So it might be a tough thing for President Trump, former President Trump, to figure out. Well, you know, Bob, I would say this. Uh, you know, I like uh, Jim Renese. I know Jim Renese. I've spoken to Jim Renese uh, in the past. And um, I would I would um, say that there are those that are in leadership positions in uh, various organizations throughout the state that I conversed with, just conversed with one yesterday, mm-hmm. that uh, felt that uh, Jim Renese was not the person we needed to look to relative to the, uh, the governor's seat. And, uh, you know, he was the only um, uh, non-incumbent Republican running against an incumbent senator two years ago in 2018 that lost. All others won against the incumbent Democrat as a result of midterm elections and uh, Donald Trump's involvement in their race. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I've, 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 I know that that result. I know that that statistic, if you will. Uh, so does Jim Renacci, and I think, uh, and in fact, I'm going to have him on, I think, again, Thursday, um, I believe is what it's going to be, and I'll ask him about that. But, you know, he would point out that he got into that thing so late because he wasn't intending to run for it. And in uh, about six months, he went from, you know, not even being in the race to pulling, uh, you know, 32% or whatever it was of the vote. So it was a little bit of an uphill climb for him. I think Jim Renese is a very good man. I think he's a very good candidate. And I think if Warren Davidson runs, I think there's going to be a real, real choice, tough choice there for, uh, for Ohio voters on the Republican side, which scares me. As I said to Jack Windsor, John Stover, because then Mike DeWine coasts right in there with his supporters, right? Well, you know, if we had the ability, I said this yesterday jokingly, of course, I, it was a joke, but if we had the ability to uh, kidnap uh, DeSantis from Florida and get him <laughs> to Ohio, and, uh, I would be the first one down there uh, participating in such an event. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, John Stover, President of Ohio Value Voters, thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. Let's talk again soon. Thank you, Bob. You got it. That's all the time we have today. Thanks to Jack Windsor. Thanks to Peter Kirsten. Now, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.